Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Tim. And this is the Comics Obscura Close Reads. On these episodes, we take a deep dive into one of the issues from the book that we just read. On today's episode, we're talking about Destroyer, Issue 6, by Victor LaVale, with Dietrich Smith and Joanna LaFuente from Boom Studios. We're live, Tim. We're doing it. So, hey, everybody, it's Destroyer time again. Yeah. If, you, if you didn't get enough of us saying hurtful things about this book on last episode... I hope they weren't actually. I don't think we were that. Things. I don't think we were that mean. I think we were honest. And the point is to be critical. Yeah. Just because we're being critical doesn't mean we hate this writer or even. I don't think we even went that far. I don't think we transgressed. Right. Oh. That. It's um, a little Easter egg for all of you. <laughs> Stay tuned. I, I don't think we transgressed that code of conduct for mm-hmm. podcasting. So I think we're okay. Yeah. I do think there are a lot of interesting things going on in this book. I just don't feel... Again, I think it's still a space issue. It's definitely a space issue. So on today's episode, we're talking about the last issue in the Destroyer series. Graphic novel? Well, I guess it was a series. Miniseries. Miniseries, yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, book six. Mm Mm-hmm. No, f- no title. The final chapter. Well, the title is chapter six. The title is chapter six, but yeah. no individual... You know, sometimes they have titles for each issue. This one doesn't do that. No, not at any one. Yeah. It's fine. Anyways. Yeah, so this is the final chapter. The premise is Dr. Baker. She's gotten back to the laboratory. Did we ever find out if their laboratory had a name? It is, it's the lab. It's just called the Capital lab. Capital L. It's the lab. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she's back at the lab. Very deep symbolism there. She is hunting down the director. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But the most important thing that's happened in the space between uh, Chapter 5 and this one is that Akai has realized that Pliers, his father, is the pilot of the bride. Right. So there's the bride. That's the big mech robot. He has connected with Akai. So now they're sort of having a weird moment of recognition. Dr. Baker shows up at the lab with them and wants to kill the director. The lab is destroyed. Because the monster's because gotten the there. the monster's already gotten there and wrecked right. havoc. And so now we're going to get what plays out in this issue is uh, basically Dr. Baker divulges. She does the evil monologue, essentially. She does. She does, but she's the good guy. But she does the <laughs> evil villain monologue where she tells the everyone around her her big master plan for how she's going to get revenge mm-hmm. on these systems of society that have... Ultimately led to her son's death. And can I uh, make a confession? You can confess, Tim. That's actually my favorite part of this book. The the monologue? Well, the concept of her doing the evil villain thing while she is also so clearly a protagonist. Yeah, I think that's one of the strongest things this entire book as a whole did. I'm not, not talking just issue six, but the whole thing was she's definitely... Pushing the boundaries of what you would consider an anti-hero to be. Because right. she bo- she's essentially a villain. And that's what our <laughs> whole discussion is going to circle around today is the idea of pushing boundaries. And in the case of Dr. Baker, her actual transgressing those boundaries. Yes, because she totally does. <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> she just doesn't care. Yeah. Which, again, is a thing I, I found reading this book that I... I do sympathize with Akai and Pliers in this book, but I don't find either of them interesting. No. At all. 
I don't sympathize necessarily. I can't say I don't sympathize with her at all. I sympathize with her as a mother. I understand the pain yes, of the, what she lost. That was right. a tragedy. But I'm not necessarily rooting for her success. No. Which but I'm not sure if we're supposed to. I think we're not. That's a str- It's a strange ambiguity. Well, again, another positive is that that is left pretty ambiguous. I mean, mm-hmm. we, our our moral our own moral standing should tell us that no seeking <laughs> unmediated revenge on everything around you is not a healthy way to yeah address your pain. Right, and this is this is the. Killmonger slash Thanos question, right? Where you can see the logic in the aims. And even with a character like Killmonger from the Black Panther movie, you can sympathize with his plight to an extent. You understand, and we say understand, I don't think that we as two white people can fully understand. But understanding his environment and his life, we can understand where you would, how you would end at that point. Yeah, and we can recognize that these characters are in pain. Yes. Not talking about Thanos at this point, but uh, no. Killmonger and Doctor Baker. We can we can recognize their pain, empathize with it, and understand that there is a system in place that has created horrible conditions that have oppressed and abused these people. Right. While also looking at their methods and their aims as saying that's too far. Yes. Yes, and that's definitely where Dr. Baker's at. Yeah. But she's but she's a little... But, but, I mean, she, in some ways, gets what she wants. So, you know, she sort of pushes that even further because Killmonger never gets the thing he wants, right? He fails. I mean, she fails, too, but she gets more <laughs> before that mm-hmm. than uh, maybe he does. But let's yeah. jump in. Let's talk about this. We haven't really... Okay. So, transgressions. Well, yeah. What's the first transgression that you wanted to start with, Tim? So it's not on the pages of this book it happens earlier, but I think the first transgression that we can talk about with Dr. Baker is transgressing the boundary between life and death in the sure. actual act of reanimating her son, Akai. Yeah. Um, in that sense, this is interesting. I kind of wonder what you think about this, because we talked about transgression as a the idea of crossing a moral boundary. Do you think that there is a clear-cut moral distinction to be made? Like to say that 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 boundary between life and death is something that humans shouldn't seek to mm-hmm. cross over? Yeah, well, that's... <laughs> hey, so this podcast is going to be four hours long, right? <laughs> we have all the time in the world to talk right. about this. No, I don't think we can answer that in this episode. Your but, thoughts in 30 seconds. Yeah, but what I would say is I think it's an obvious question to ask yourself is once a person has died is it the same person that comes back maybe i'm being influenced by the remake of pet cemetery that just came out but i think there's a genuine question to this idea of like is this a kai i think even in even in the full length episode we pose the question the the philosophical question about the boat mm-hmm. that is being constantly replaced right if if you replace all all the pieces of a boat bit by bit, after mm-hmm. all of those pieces have been replaced, is it the same boat? And I think that's really what we get to with this idea of transgressing life and death is, can we really say this is even a Kai, the, the boy that li- that was alive? Right. You know, just the, the very fact that he 
is aware of his prior mortality and now his immortality is can we even say this is the same person i don't have an answer to that that's really just a a philosophical question we'd all have to ask ourselves but i think you know obviously he seems like the same boy based on how he acts but i think if we wanted to really talk about this boundary of life and death you know is it wrong or right to do it i i think it's more about what you what you maybe want out of it because if you are thinking you're going to bring the same person back i think there's a flawed logic there right so in that case it might not even be a transgression of that boundary mm-hmm. if what you're bringing back isn't the same person who passed right it would be more of a, a transformation right which is something we're going to talk about in a little bit but yeah i mean i it might speak more to that than to transgressing some kind of moral code of honor for the dead, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I would say that Dr. Baker did transgress this code of conduct in the sense that she brought her son back for very selfish reasons and Mm -hmm. with a very selfish plan. So we know eventually she had intended to use him as a tool, <laughs> right. which I think is what where we can say she did make a transgression, right? Mm-hmm. She chose to bring her son back, not as not to have her son back, but to have something to strike back with. Right. So for me, that's where we get into a, um, some dark water. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it is still complicated with the sense of, motherly love and yeah. grief and loss. I think there is, in that action, it does get murky, right? Because yeah. there is the sense, I almost feel like bringing back a Kai is, in the way she talks about it, the death of her son is is uh, the last straw in a long line of ways that systemic oppression has sort of battered her down. Uh her intelligence is always questioned. Mm-hmm. She cannot succeed or advance in this world where the rules have been made way harder for her and every other person of color before and behind her. And then society kills her son. The police murder her son. The way that she talks about it makes it seem like that was just the step too far. That was the trans- the way the world transgressed against her. Yeah. And so bringing him back like you said, was a way, well, you know, God, I'm trying to, I'm kind of struggling to talk about this in a sense because there are so many moving parts to it. On the one Mm -hmm. hand, there is the motivation to strike back at Mm -hmm. the oppressive systems that have kept her down and all people of color. This does from her vantage point seem like a more selfish pursuit Mm -hmm. because she's always talking about it in the comic in the terms of the I, not necessarily in the terms of community. It's, it's more uh, individual than say the, the, the killmonger who's seeing his people being oppressed and is wanting to strike back for them and make a nation for them or a world for them. Mm -hmm. Um, She wants to just tear down. Yeah. Well, and I think we can maybe speak to the next transgression as we develop this idea because I think for me what makes her particularly villainous and what makes her resurrection of her son a transgression Mm -hmm. is the next transgression which is that we find in this issue specifically that she has coded into all of the things she's created a command like a backdoor so she can essentially take control of 
suppliers, and she thinks she can take control of Akai. Right. She at least designed that back door to be able right. to do that. And once she gets the monster, we find that she actually was always planning to put the same type of system in place in the monster as well, so that she would essentially have an army to do her bidding. So that's interesting, because the bride definitely predates the death of Akai. Sure. She's working on the bride. Maybe, oh, I'm not, the timeline's a little fuzzy in my head, but she might have been working on the bride before she even became pregnant with Akai. Mm -hmm. So this... Well, I'm not saying that this whole backdoor was always in place for that, but we, we, she, she again transgresses this code by deciding this, you know, code of autonomy by deciding at this point that she's going to now take control of these, of these people. Right. So what I think is really important to keep in mind here is when she's bringing back Akai, her plan is to then use him to overthrow these systems. We also then find out in this issue that. In case Akai just didn't want to go along with her plan, she always had this secondary option of simply commanding him to do mm -hmm. the thing she wanted. So what I think is really important is that we find out in this issue that she doesn't actually want... She, she always... It's always about her. Right. And we get a little taste of this in issue five when she's explaining to Akai transhumanism. Mm -hmm. And she talks about being like the mother of this new age of... Of human life and she imagines herself as an Abraham Lincoln she imagines herself as the Lincoln Memorial yeah which is pretty grandiose <laughs> and kind of maniacal if you think about the fact that she is this is her imagery this is right. not I mean it's drawn in the book but this is this sort of a this dreamscape where she's imagining or or maybe it's a Kai imagining what this is all looking like, and mm -hmm. she is in that seat, which we know, right, historically speaking, Lincoln is identified most often as ending slavery, right? So if we mm -hmm. take that next logical step, then she's sort of putting herself in this position yeah. and saying, the I'm the liberator. I'm, li I'm liberating these people. But right. in actuality, what we find is she's really here to do quite the opposite, to enslave these people. And I think that's really one of her worst transgressions mm -hmm. is yeah. this this reality that we come to face that is for all of her anger at this society and these cultural systems and these social systems that are have been systematically since slavery and Jim Crow and all of you know from then onward have been working the you know the the prison industrial complex all of these things that have been working towards enslaving and repressing and oppressing these people of color we find that at, at the end of her 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 story, she's in that same position. Mm -hmm. And she's doing it, she says, to liberate these people, but she's doing it by enslaving these same right. people. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, that the only people that she's turning this enslavement on are other. Frankenst sure. Frankenstein's monster may ostensibly be white, yeah. but he's also a conglomerate of people and parts yeah. and, and he also represents i mean historically in the mm -hmm. novel he always has represented represented alien alienation right right and and paranoia fear of the other i mean that's a key mm -hmm. part of his whole shtick right and in pliers slash the bride you have a human that has fully merged with a, a mechanized body sure and then well akai who is part nanotech part 
dead tissue. Part, yeah, part <laughs> corpse, which we've also learned in, a, in issue five, is slowly being reconstructed by the nanotech and eventually will be wholly nanotech and no longer have a biological body. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, I mean, I think that's kind of her worst transgression is this idea that she is seeking out revenge through enslavement, which is an ironically (laughs) problematic thing for her to want to do, right? So, you know, I think this is where we really get to see her fully, this is a villain. We we really shouldn't be cheering this person on, you know? And I think that represents a sort of transformation in a sense. Yeah. Because her character, her arc has always been growing in this direction. We've seen her working out the the edges of a quote-unquote mad scientist Agenda, mm-hmm. you know, schema. She sort of has the whole laboratory set up, the white coat and everything. Right. Messing with things that we don't understand. Forces that there is maybe possibly magic involved somehow. The book is fuzzy on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we see it taken to that that final iteration of yeah. what she actually plans to do. Which is why it's so t- disappointing that the book ends here. Yeah. It presents to me... And especially the Abraham Lincoln moment it presents to me this thing that I really wanted to see play out. Not necessarily end, but I wanted to see the struggle between mm. the, these two forces. Akai, who very obviously doesn't want his mother to go down this path. Right. And also having to stop her from, A, using him, and B, like her hurting all of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead... It culminates in probably the the least satisfying fight that I've seen in the comic. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think this book would have been great. I shouldn't say it would have been great, but I think there would have been a lot more to it. I think this could have been something much better if it had been not just 12 issues, but maybe even something ongoing for a bit longer because yeah. you could really start to see a fun narrative play out a really interesting and engrossing narrative play play out with this sort of the rise of the transhuman right Mm -hmm. and to see a world that is trying to cope with this maybe even having something escalate to the point of i I, in some ways i could almost see this going to like the same scope and size of the recent planet of the apes movies right yeah like this is in a lot of ways emulates that first film where you get this one unique version of right the the new species mm-hmm. and then it's all about this changing world that has to sort of cope and understand how to how things are going to work now that there's this right. new this new presence on earth right and i think this could have done the same thing with this sort of building narrative of dueling side i don't know it could have been much yeah. bigger and, and really interesting well it also it always mirrors that that question of race i suppose in that it's always a struggle about they're the question, who owns the world? Yeah. And it's always forces clashing rather than cooperating. Right. It would have been very gratifying, I think, to see that rise like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And to see those questions played out in, yeah, a monthly comic book, an ongoing one that we could still be reading today. Yeah. I mean, you could have so many discussions yeah. in there. Like mixed race, right? That could become sure. this whole concept, right, with nanotechnology obscuring all of this stuff about this discussion people have about Mm -hmm. right mixed mixed race relationships and you know we've seen that in other things with you know robot Mm -hmm. and keepman and all that kind of stuff but i mean this could have been another version of that right in a right really interesting way 
even as this book ventures into transhuman territory, yeah, the idea of uploading a human brain into a machine or onto a hard drive or whatever other iteration the the mind can take mm-hmm. it also begs questions of what happens to race and what happens yeah. to gender when you do that i mean because that was that was the question i was about to ask you is like well can we can we call a kai black right i mean yes we can yeah <laughs> but it also there is this, the thought of like but, but at what point does he what is right there's the question like what is blackness right. then like well and, eventually his skin will not be what it is now right. and and we are so we so often just in, superimpose these um mm-hmm. concepts onto the, the physical right the, the black white asian yeah. etc right and when that starts to go away then how do we start to define these concepts of race because right those things start to slip i think the clumb- the clumsiest way i can think of to put it well i'm not purposely reaching for something clumsy yeah but the the best way i can conceptualize it, which may be a clumsy way of talking about it, is that race does seem to be a conglomerate of conditions because there's both there there is the aspect of who you were born to mm-hmm. and the 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 culture surrounding that, right? But there's also the question of what others put on that. Which right. is not to say that stereotypes make race, but I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, but exactly. there, there are. It's you, you know the the term stereotype we is used negatively, but in in a lot of ways that's still even even on people that are right. This is <laughs> this is where you, people say, "Oh, I don't see color," and people try to pretend. <laughs> but we know that right. when we see people, we have there's coded mm-hmm. identities that we sort of assume. There's assumptions we make assumptions about people based on right. skin color and etc. An ethnic. Mm, so- signals and signs that we see on their body, right? Whether it's a wearing a, a headscarf or something like that, mm-hmm. right? These all these are all these codes that we try to interpret and say, well, based on this, I assume this about the person. I'm not saying it's right. My point is that we do these things very naturally on, on our day to day lives, right? right? And I think when that starts to slip, because there would be a slip, right? What hap- How how do we how do we distinguish these things when they are not present? You know, superficially. Right, and if they're not, if they're not reinforced by that superficial, superficial visual, do they then? Does that that variation in humanity that is so important to us as a species, does it start to go away? Is there a homogenization that happens? Right. You know, other other properties have played around with the idea of slipping into race or gender like different skins once you exit your body and you are just a consciousness in a machine you know Mm. the idea that you can be and these are possibly terrible terms so i apologize for them in advance but you can uh experience like a transracial not necessarily experience but aesthetic Mm. yeah so just yeah, so many, no, but it's really so interesting. many questions that could have been and asked. And all of this was not in the book right. at all. <laughs> yeah, this is all just us dumping thoughts and ideas in, which is back to I think our most common complaint about this book is that it suffers so much from its length. Yeah, yeah, because we don't get to have any of these discussions. In fact, the book kind of resolves, and I don't mean I don't mean this in a mean way, because. I think the way I'm, what I'm going to say is 
might come across like it's minimizing the realities that we, the, the problems that we're facing today, but I, I feel that this book ended on a much safer note. It really did. By sort of by retre- retreating into contemporary issues where the book seemed to be so much about forward-looking, mm-hmm. so much of the discussion with this transhumanism and resurrection and all of these things, having a second chance seems to suggest a looking forward. Right. But what the book ultimately ends on is falling back. Well, even the concept of destroying the racist institutions of our country and possibly the world still suggests forward momentum in a yeah. direction. It, it Breaking down a system inherently discusses rebuilding Mm -hmm. or the thing that comes after. But in the final transgression, somewhere in there, and I'm not even sure clear what happens to her personality, but the final transgression is when Dr. Baker, in moments before her death at the hands of the monster, uploads her consciousness into the brain and body of her son. Yeah, into a guy. Which, I don't know, I feel like you don't find this as creepy as I find this. Um, I do find it creepy. I just think that he probably has like a lot of control, so I didn't feel like she was such a dominant presence. I feel like he actually has more control of her than she does of him, but in, in concept it's incredibly weird. Yeah. And there's no doubt about that. Like, maybe, I don't know, maybe this is the wrong place for my brain to go. But I just imagine... Being a 12-year-old boy, and then suddenly my mom, who I love very much, her consciousness is in the back of my head. Oh, yeah. No, it's creepy. While I'm about to do all the things that (laughs) 12-year-old boys are going to do, and also on into the future. Yeah. This should make Akai, this should result in him becoming a fairly, maybe unbalanced person. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I think the attempt here by the author was to try to emulate what we see so often in a lot of sci-fi, which is that the hero often has some kind of cool AI partner who, (laughs) like, it's a Jarvis. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, man. Okay. You've got your little robot in your ear that's helping you to navigate the thing but instead of actually understanding why that's cool, this guy was just like, his mom, but it's his mom, though. She downgraded herself to Jarvis. Well, well, that's the interesting thing, right, is it's kind of a flip on that, which is, really a fun, is a fun thought to have in the whole transhumanism concept is that the biological mother is put into the robotic son. So there's a mm-hmm. flip of the whole concept, but it also it's your mom in your head. Right. Which is fucking weird. But also, once she's in his head... She has completely, seemingly at least, abandoned all of these thoughts of retribution yeah. and has taken the tack of uh, education sure. instead. She wants to teach Akai about both the, the, she wants to teach Akai about the contributions that black people have had to the city of Chicago specifically and also the horrible things that have been done. But she doesn't seem to be prodding him towards acting on these. Right. Mostly just making him aware. I mean, there's definitely the the suggestion in this moment that her death, though it's not spiritually ascendant, Mm -hmm. because this is sci-fi and I would assume because the author's beliefs don't run down that app, that don't parallel with Christianity, that this is in some way a statement on 
the ability of the consciousness to be liberated from from the physical. Like right. once once she, once the body once the mind transcends the body, she gets the sense of liberation. So maybe, okay. maybe this this weight of anger and pain Oof. that was bound in the body has been released because of her her detachment from the body. I'm just I'm purely no analyzing. I, but what I'm right. saying is maybe this is where this this idea comes from is that in the in the, the literal act of separating, she is freed. Okay. And so then there's a little bit of peace there, which is a nice sentiment that is never in any way acknowledged in the book. Right. I have a th- I have another thought about how that works, but to talk about this for just a second. So that touches on that idea of transhumanism that almost in a it almost seems to be making the case for humanity should be seeking to escape the body. Mm. Yeah. But maybe. it also has this darker tinge to it this idea that death will set you free <laughs> like all, all of the punishment of oppression and all of the hurt and stuff it will get better when you die um, well i don't know if that's well i mean that's interesting i mean we could use pliers as a parallel to or mm-hmm. a, a foil to baker and say that for him transcending did not remove these pains right he he didn't lose the pain and suffering that he felt from losing his son and, and wife, or son and partner, right? By getting ascending into this this form, so maybe there is something to say that no, it's not a one, it's not a one to one, but uh, but I do think there's plenty to suggest that he did give up his his biological body out of a sense of pain and grief at losing yes. his son. Yes. So I mean, there is that there is that parallel as well. Yeah, but for Baker, it seems that she didn't choose to give up herself. It was a matter of survival. And maybe there's something to the to truly facing death, right? She mm-hmm. was facing death. Right. Maybe that had changed her I mean, it doesn't make any sense narratively. It makes no sense because it just doesn't. Well, downloading herself into her son, it is a reaction to the fact that she's about to die. So yes. as a survival mechanism, it makes perfect sense. Right. Uh, the way she reacts to the world afterwards, having escaped her body into her son's brain, doesn't make so much sense. The way I was reading into this was that her, pro- and of course I have to make logical leaps here, but that her son is almost acting as a filter for that uh, vengeful agenda. Mm-hmm. So that when she enters, so this his is the mind, this is the mother he wants to 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 hear. Well, I think mostly more. I read it as making the argument that her proximity to her son makes her a better person. This idea mm-hmm. that that next generation, the generation that we produce, is the one that's going to save us. Mm-hmm. I, I read it very much as Akai, not wittingly, but just by his very presence, saving his oh, mother. Well, that's nice too. Yeah. I think there's room for all of these reads, to be honest. Yeah. The doors are wide open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's definitely nice. That's yeah. Nice. So, I mean, maybe it's... I think on some level it's good that this ends on a happier note. Sure. I just wish we would have gotten to explore those really juicy questions first. Yeah. I think that the... There was a lot more that could have been said and maybe should have been said. Mm-hmm. 
it's, it's unfortunate that we only got six issues of very tightly packed narrative because I think it ultimately mm-hmm. the book suffered because of that. I do think that he could pick this up down the road if he wanted to slash had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. That would be could, interesting. Yeah, because all that stuff is still there. The ending doesn't have to be the ending. The ending can be a trick. Yeah. Well, not even a trick, but it's just, yeah, you could enjoy being a kid for a while, but eventually something's going right. to have to happen. Eventually you're going to have to be exposed as not human. Mm-hmm. So you could easily continue this, the narrative forward. Yeah. It's true. All right, everybody. That's our close read. We read it closely. We did it. That was a pretty tight close read, Tim. I think we did good. I think we... there. I mean, there's so much to talk about when you're talking about ethics. Yeah. I and mean, actually, I think we were very nice. We didn't We didn't mention any of the things that we really thought were annoying. <laughs> and we're well, not going to, darn it. Let's let's focus on the positive. Let's be positive. Let's, on the interesting... Yeah. Let's not transgress. Let's not transgress. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening again to the Comics Obscure podcast. Next week is a slog log, right, Tim? Or Absolutely. is it? Or no, is it, next week is a slog, a slog log. log. Okay. We're slogging through the logs. Slogging logs. Cutting them down, turning them into books. Making houses out of them. Making houses out of them for, for mice. So come back then and listen to us casually talk about things that are probably months old at this point. But it'll be great. You'll love it. Yeah. <laughs> You'll love it. All right. Adios. Nice mice. <laughs>